My name's David, as has been mentioned. I'm a member here at REC, and it's a privilege and a joy to share God's word with you this morning. We're not going to look at a specific passage this morning, but have your Bibles or apps or whatever you've got handy, um, because we'll be looking at uh, various passages. Um, it's difficult to preach from just one sentence in the Lord's Prayer, <laughs> as others have found, I think. <laughs> so we won't be doing that, uh, but obviously we're um, centering our thoughts around this uh, last petition in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's just pray, shall we, before we begin. Father God, like Samuel in the Old Testament, uh, we come to you and just cry out, Lord, speak to us, because your servants are listening. Help us to come to you as little children, as he did, and hear your word speaking to us. And we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So, as we've said, we're continuing uh, our series in the Lord's Prayer, and we come to lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I guess uh, if you've been a Christian for a, a while um, this afternoon, you will have heard the, the Christian life described as a race. Uh, it, it's described like that in the Bible, in the New Testament. It's called a race. You may even have heard it said that the Christian life is a race, uh, but it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. We're in it for the long haul. We have to get to the end. But imagine yourself in a marathon. I don't know whether that's possible. I can't imagine myself in a marathon. <laughs> just uh, just doesn't, doesn't compute, but there you go. Just imagine yourself, you're running a marathon, and you've got through the first five miles or so, and you think, wow, this is good, feeling good, doing well here. Uh, no problems so far. Just bear in mind there's another 21 to go yet, I think. I think that's right. But suddenly you go around a corner and instead of running along the road, there's a barrier in front of you uh, that you've got, to, you've got to get over somehow. Uh, you suddenly realise that the marathon has stopped being a flat race and instead it's become a steeplechase where you have to jump over barriers. There are all sorts of barriers in this steeplechase. There are flat ones and there are ones with water. There we go, ones with water the other side of them, just to catch you out. So you realise you've got to run the next 21 miles jumping over things. But it might get even worse than that. When I was at school, we had a, a yearly uh, ordeal, which was called um, the cross-country run. Happened once a year, I don't know whether anybody else suffered these things. Nobody except the, the really sporty types enjoyed it, except that you got an afternoon, afternoon off lessons, so that was the one good thing about it. But in the first year of first, what we called senior school, it was the fourth form we called it, I don't know what year it was, <laughs> but there you go, in the first year of senior school, you didn't actually have to run the race, instead that the class was spread around the course to act as markers, to direct, uh, make sure that the runners um, went in the right direction. Well, the year that I was in that class and, and we were markers, we were, me and a few friends were stationed through a wood where the course ran through a wood. Well, being the very naughty boys that we were, we decided to have a bit of fun. <laughs> and we discovered in the woods, before the runners had arrived, that the, 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 the um, uh, I was going to say the lumberjacks, or the woodcutters had been out, and there were a lot of fallen branches in the woods. So we thought, what we'll do is we'll drag some of these branches and put them across the path so that the, uh, the senior boys... Uh, would have to run, uh, jump over these branches and twigs and stuff, you see. So this is what we did. 
and it was with great joy that uh, we heard the shouts of horror as the big boys came through and had to battle through twigs and branches and climb over them. And we relished that, I can tell you, until we had to run the race the next year. <laughs> the book of Hebrews describes the Christian life just like this. In chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race set before us. And I tell you, to run that cross-country race, you needed some endurance. I discovered, actually, uh, in the year, the next year, when I had to run the race, the full meaning of uh, that verse from uh, Hebrews, not that I knew the verse then. Uh, apart from the, uh, the wood that you had to go through, the, the last section was always through a field that the farmer had just ploughed the day before. And if it had been raining, you got halfway across this field and your boots, if you were wearing them, whatever you were wearing, just got more and more mud clarted up to them. By the time you got, to, you'd already run the, all around the course. By the time you got to the finishing line, you were practically dragging yourself through. Your progress got harder and harder. So all of this points, I think, to the reality that the Christian life that we are in, involved in, is not just jogging down a flat road to get home. No. Very often there are obstacles and barriers, diversions and hold-ups that can throw us off course. And temptation can be one of these. In fact, it certainly will be one of these if you're um, carrying on with the, with the Christian life, with trusting in the Lord. Jesus then, in the Lord's Prayer, points us to a way in which we can deal with with this particular barrier, the barrier of temptation. Throughout church history, there have been many strands of thought, but two particular strands of thought which were in, uh, diametrically opposed to each other um, were these. One was called the Holiness Movement, which claimed that Christians could eventually reach a, reach a stage when they did not sin, when they could resist temptation and did not fall into sin. And actually, John Wesley espoused this um, for, for a while. They were called, that was called the Holiness Movement. There's another movement which was called the Libertarians, which said that because sin is a reality for us all, if we're honest, we, we all fall into sin, then we shouldn't really worry too much about it. After all, God loves us and he will forgive us, um, so we should just get on with our lives uh, and, and just be easy about it. They were the Libertarians. Well, I hope by the end of this afternoon we'll, we'll, we'll have discovered that there's a middle way between these two. Yes, sin is a reality, but it doesn't have to master us. Temptations do not have to overwhelm us and overcome us. So let's uh, dig in then and let's start then. What is temptation? What is temptation? I must confess that I've often puzzled over the phrase, lead us not into temptation. After all, the book of James, which we've been looking at before this, this uh, session, tells us that let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. If therefore God doesn't tempt anybody, what is the point of praying, lead us not into temptation? He's not going to do that anyway, is he, if that verse is true. 
Ah, say the commentators. Well, that's because the uh, word translated temptation can also be translated testing. So what it really means is, don't bring us to a time of testing. And in fact, some versions of the Bible um, put it like that. Don't bring us to a time of testing. But that doesn't really get us out of the problem, does it? Because if we look back to the book of James in chapter 1, verse 2, we're told to count it all joy when we meet various trials because our faith is being tested. And in our reading from Peter, Peter tells us not to be surprised when we face various trials. It should be the norm for us as Christians. In fact, he again says we should be joyful, we should rejoice because we're sharing in the sufferings of Christ and therefore we will share in his glory as well. So if testing is good for us, why would we pray, lead us not into temptation or lead us not into testing? If we're to count it as joy, why would we try and avoid it? I think perhaps a little diagram will help us here. Can we jump forward on the slides to the, to the diagram? Next one. That's it, thank you. You see, we are tested. God does test us. We know that. The scripture tells us that. God puts us through testing times to test our faith, to test whether we're going to fall back onto God or try and battle it through in our own strength. And that testing may lead to temptation. It may lead to a temptation to go in a different direction. But if it does, if we face a temptation as a result of testing, then we will always have a choice at that point, whether to succumb to the temptation and so fall into sin, or whether to resist the temptation and hence not fall into sin. So we can see that God may test us and that may lead to a temptation, but the choice is ours whether we fall for it or not. And we'll come back to that in a moment, a little later. So, perhaps a paraphrase of uh, the well-known sentence, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, is in order. And uh, John Stott gives us a very useful paraphrase. Here it is. He writes it as, Do not allow us so to be led into temptation that it overwhelms us, but to rescue us from the evil one. Now, uh, I, I, I respect John Stott in, enormously. Um, his knowledge uh, of biblical languages was far greater than mine ever will be. But he did tweak it slightly there. He's changed the, um, uh, the, the active, lead us not into temptation, to a passive, do not let us be led into temptation. Uh, he's twisted the Greek slightly there. So, um, naughty, naughty John Stott. <laughs> But I think he's put it well, though, hasn't he? He's, 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 he's helped try to, to show us that, yes, God may test us, and temptation may come as a result of that, but our prayer is that God will not lead us uh, through the testing into such temptation that it, was that it will overwhelm us, but that he will indeed deliver us from evil. And we need to bear in mind Paul's uh, encouragement in the book of uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 uh, where if you if you know your bibles you'll probably cling to this this verse 
No temptation has overcome you that is not common to human beings. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So if you are facing a temptation and you feel like it's overwhelming you, come back to God because he has promised not to allow it to overwhelm you, but to, but, but to uh, open up a way of escape. The lines then between temptation and testing here are thinly drawn. It's difficult to separate them. I had difficulty when I was thinking about this to separate them. But I think it's clear that God will never himself lead us to a point where temptation swamps our ability to resist. Yes, he may test us severely, but there will always be an alternative to submitting to the temptation and so committing sin. One writer put it like this, there is always the option to refuse and run, even when the only option to sin, the only alternative to sin, is to die, as has been the choice of many martyrs who have refused to save their lives in renouncing Christ. So there is an alternative. Sometimes it seems a very hard alternative. Sometimes it seems that uh, the alternative is much more difficult than committing the sin. But the alternative is there, and God provides it for us. So then, the temptation itself is not sin. Temptation is not sin. I hope we can draw encouragement from this. We may face severe testing, but that in itself does not mean that we have fallen into sin. As that diagram showed, when testing turns into temptation, there is a choice to be made. Do I go with a temptation or do I resist it? And I think we can safely say that in every circumstance where a temptation occurs, there is a choice for us. There is a choice, and we have to make that choice. We hear a bit of juicy gossip in the office. We weren't listening for it. It just drifted across the floor and came into our ears. What do we do? Next time we're in the coffee queue, and someone says, have you heard so-and-so and so-and-so? Do you say, I'm sorry, but I'm not really interested? And then say, um, did you know Wednesday lost 5-0 last week? Change the subject. <laughs> or will it be, yeah, and did you know that person, what they did? You beef it up. It's a choice. It's a choice you make. Fellas, you're walking down the road. And in front is a pretty girl in summer clothes. There's a temptation there. But it's not a sin if you just notice her and look the other way and go about your business. It becomes a sin when you look again and begin to imagine the finer details of what's in front of you. It's a choice you make. You're alone in your room on a computer doing something quite legitimate. Maybe you work from home and that's what you're doing. And suddenly the thought comes into your mind, I could just search for so-and-so, just for interest's sake. Well, that's not a sin, but when you type in 
so-and-so, whatever it is, and you click search, then it becomes a sin. There's a choice, a choice for you to make. And so we could go on. You know where your weak spots are. Very often, anyway. Not always, but very often. So be ready for it and have the no answer to hand. No, I won't. So temptation in itself is not sin. But there is a choice so that it doesn't become sin. So then where does temptation come from? If it doesn't come from God, where does it come from? It never comes, as we've seen, directly from God. God tests us and may allow temptation to arise from that testing. Job is a prime example. The devil asked permission of God to test Job, and God allowed it. As a result of that test, which was pretty severe, Job lost everything he held dear, his family, his possessions, his wealth, even his health. But as a result of that, his wife joined in by tempting him to curse God as a result of the testing he'd been under. Now, if he had have cursed God, as his wife prompted him to, that would have been a sin. But he didn't. He resisted that temptation. So if temptation doesn't come from God, where does it come from? I think the Bible... Can we move on to the next slide? I think the Bible um, gives us two main sources as where temptation can come from. In the Bible, there are two outstanding examples of where Satan directly attempts, tempts uh, people, individuals, and they're interesting. The first example is Eve in the Garden of Eden. And the second is Jesus in the wilderness. In both these cases, the person being tempted was a perfect human being with no sin in their hearts. Eve, before she succumbed to the devil's lies, was sinless. She had not committed any sin up to that point. She only became a sinner after she picked and ate the fruit which God had uh, commanded her not to eat. Jesus, of course, was sinless all his life. He never committed a sin. So in both these instances, temptation could not come from within the person's heart because their hearts were perfect. So it came from outside and it came directly from Satan, from the devil. And it's interesting that when Peter tried to dissuade Jesus from uh, completing his mission, from going to the cross, Jesus didn't, didn't blame Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. It was Satan again, initiating the temptation to a perfect human being. So yes, we can be tempted by Satan. He can put things in our path which will be very enticing, like the fruit on the tree or the stones in the desert that could be turned into bread. These things often appear suddenly, and Satan's ploy is to catch us off guard. In our weak points, often in our weak spot, and often when we ourselves are at our weakest. I don't know what Eve's um, situation was, what her mental state was, uh, when the, the snake came along and uh, insinuated himself into her life. Uh, I don't know about that. But I do know that Jesus in the wilderness almost certainly 
was at a weak point, humanly speaking. He was hungry. Uh, he was contemplating the, the difficulty, the hardship of his mission to save the world. He was struggling, humanly speaking. In fact, we're told that angels came and ministered to him. And it's at these points, these weak points, that we need to be most on our guard. It's these points, uh, at these points, that Satan will uh, come along and uh, insinuate himself into our lives. Tiredness, illness, being away from home, being in a stressful situation at work or in our relationships. All these uh, situations when we are weak, when we are perhaps not concentrating, are opportunities that Satan will use, will try to get an entry. So be on your guard. James tells us that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So we do need to be on our guard. But Jesus made it clear that uh, where we sinful human beings face the most temptation is from within our own hearts. In Mark chapter 7, verse 21, he says, It is from within, out of the heart of men, or women, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So the second source of temptation then is from within our own hearts. Jeremiah in the Old Testament knew this. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Of course, as Christians, our hearts are being renewed. Praise God, they need it. But they are. But it's a lifelong job. There's still an awful lot of sludge down there. At least in mine there is anyway that needs clearing out. Our hearts need continual renewing. Why does it matter then where temptation comes from? Well, I think it matters because we need to know how to deal with it. And that's what we'll look at next. What can we do about temptation when we face it? Well, as I've just said, it, it depends on the source of the temptation. James is very clear about what to do about the devil. You have to resist him, and you have to draw near to God. Resist the devil and draw near to God. How? Well, I think we can follow Jesus' example, can't we, in the wilderness. When the devil faced Jesus, what did Jesus do? He turned to scripture. Turned his thoughts and his heart to scripture. So when the devil faces us, what can we do? Well, I think we'll follow James's example. We can resist the devil and draw near to God. And we can draw near to God by turning to scripture, by looking at our Bibles. So maybe we could have some scriptures to hand. Maybe, dare I say it, even learn a few verses of the Bible to help us when we're facing temptation. Are we tempted to pride? We'll turn to 1 Peter 5.8. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so, that the pro so at the proper time he may exalt you. Are we tempted to impure thoughts? 
2 Corinthians 7, 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Are we tempted to be lazy? Hebrews 6, 12. We do not want you to become lazy, brothers, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Are we tempted to doubt God and complain of the treatment that he gives us? Are we tempted to moan at him because we don't think our circumstances are what we want? Jeremiah 31, 3-4 I have loved you with an everlasting love, says God. Therefore I've continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you up, and you will be built. Well, we could go on, couldn't we? We each know, as I've said, perhaps some of our weaknesses. So we could do some preemptive preparation, could we not? Find some verses which you know will be helpful to you when the time comes. Maybe commit them to memory. Maybe keep them on a little card in your wallet or something. But you need to turn to God when temptation comes. And the easiest way of doing that is to go to scripture. So resist the devil and draw near to God. The second thing we can do is guard our hearts. If the second source of temptation is our own hearts, then our hearts need to be dealt with. Paul says in in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul implies here that this is something we can do. We can be in the process of transforming our hearts, our minds. How can we do that? by training our hearts and minds in godly things. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul says this, Whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I have to confess, I used to think that this verse was a bit wishy-washy, really, It's sort of a bit like, you know, think nice thoughts and everything will be all right. It just seemed a bit sort of weak to me. But I've had a rethink on that, and I think it's much more than that. It's actually putting Romans 12, 2 into action. It's about training our thoughts, training our minds, training the way we live and think so that our minds are renewed, are transformed. What do we watch? What do we read? Do we switch the film off when it gets too explicit or the language gets too foul? Or do we just say, well, I'll just gloss over this bit. I want to see the end. I want to, want, I want to know what happens at the end. Are we prepared to forego that so that our minds are not corrupted unnecessarily? C.H. Spurgeon, the uh, 19th century preacher, Uh, and uh, founder of Spurgeon's College, advised his students. He always had a pithy pithy, uh, word to say. And he said this, Learn to say no 
it will be more use to you than being able to read Latin. <laughs> well, I don't know how much use reading Latin is these days. But learning and training ourselves to say no certainly is useful. God gave us the word no in every language for a reason. We can even avoid having to say no if we steer clear of situations that we know will be tempting. An ex-alcoholic doesn't go to a bar if he's got any sense. We have to show some common sense as Christians. In the New Testament, there are various uh, exhortations to flee, to run away. Here, are, here they are, run away. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee from idolatry. Flee from the love of money. Flee from youthful passions. You see, fleeing requires action on our part. When we see something approaching that we know is going to be a temptation, we ought to be turning around and running in the opposite direction. That's what this says. That's what this means. It means discipline. It means commitment. It means decision-making when the time comes. Remember Joseph, sold into slavery, into Potiphar's household, and being propositioned by Potiphar's wife. What did he do? He ran in the opposite direction, leaving his cloak behind. Nothing mattered more than getting out of the situation. Should be true for us too. Paul talks about beating his body and making it a slave. James talks about taming the tongue. These are positive actions which we must take. Another thing we can do is to remember Jesus' promise never to leave us or forsake us. In each and every situation, Christ is with us and his spirit is in us. He never leaves us. If we're born again Christians, his spirit never departs from us. He dwells within us. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit, says Paul. He was with the disciples in the boat when it was sinking. He was with Stephen when the rocks were being thrown at him. He was with the apostles in prison with bleeding backs and shackled feet. He was with Paul clinging to a piece of wood in a storm. Do not despair. Jesus is with you. When the temptation seems the strongest, when it seems like it's going to overwhelm you, Jesus is there. Do not despair. Cling to him. Perhaps the most important thing we can do is pray. Ask God for help. That's what he's there for, amongst many other things. Send up an arrow prayer at the point of temptation. Apart from anything else, it will turn your mind towards God if you at least acknowledge God in that situation and send a prayer to him. I would imagine it's difficult to have a porn page open in front of you and to try and talk to God at the same time. Talk to God and turn your mind to him. Pray this prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Lord, deliver me from evil. Deliver me, Lord. It's here, right in front of me. Deliver me. Remember the disciples in the boat as they faced drowning. And Peter, as he sank in the waves, Lord, help, help, just shout, help. When it seems like the temptation is going to overwhelm you, 
call out to God for help. Finally, then, what can we do if we fail? And I'm sure we will. I'm sure we're all aware of that. I'm sure we all can, can all bring to mind um, situations, times, occasions when we have failed and probably failed miserably. Remember at the start, we mentioned two schools of thought, the holiness movement and the libertarians. Well, John, uh, in his letter, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, has an answer to them both. He says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Hooray, said the holiness movement. We may not sin. That's what John says. You may not sin. But he goes on. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Yes, say the libertines, libertarians. We have the advocate. Jesus is always praying for us. He's always there. He will forgive us. So yes, the aim is not to sin, but the reality is that we will sin. So what do we do? Well, John carries on and he has the answer. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You may be facing the same temptation, perhaps day in, day out, Perhaps it's gone on for years and years and you have fallen many times and you've come to God crying out for help, ashamed, maybe, devastated, desiring to do better, but knowing probably that you're going to fail again. Remember Jesus' message to Peter. Peter asked him, how many times must I forgive my brother? Seven times? That sounds like a lot. Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. And if that's true for our human relationships, how many times do you think God will forgive you? He will forgive you as many times as you come back to him in genuine remorse and repentance. And remember, you're not facing this temptation alone. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. Turn to him, rely on him, and bit by bit, day by day, his power will grow in you to enable you to resist the temptation. Trust in God. One day you will face this temptation and you will resist it and you will move on. He'll probably put another one later on for you to face. But don't worry about that. Get over the first one. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has defeated sin. He has beaten the devil he has paid the price. Every sin you and I have committed or ever will commit has already been paid for. So don't hesitate. As soon as sin happens, go to the cross, confess your sin and receive forgiveness, cleansing and help. Ask for strength to be stronger next time. It may take many falls, but the Lord is patient and kind. We've already heard that today. His mercy is everlasting, so keep coming back to him. God is not waiting up in heaven to point the finger at you. As we've read in Hebrews, we have a high priest who is able to sympathise with our weaknesses because he's been tempted in every way, just as we are. Just 
Take that thought into your heart. Jesus has faced every temptation that you face. And some people say, well, it was easy for him. He was the son of God. I think it was much harder for him. He was perfect, pure, holy. He had to face temptations that uh, maybe we will never face, but he certainly faced all that we will face. And he did not fall into sin. So we can keep on with the marathon. And we can even keep on with the cross-country run and go through the trees and the branches and the twigs or the mud as it showed on the picture there. I don't think our runs were ever that bad. (laughs) Um, But they were bad sometimes. We can overcome the hurdles in the strength of God with the Holy Spirit living in us. We can defy Satan. We can resist him and turn our backs on him. And the scripture tells us that if we do that, he will flee from us. He knows whose we are. He knows we belong to the Lord. And he knows that nothing will take us, pluck us out of the hands of God our Father. So just tell him to get lost, basically, and turn to God. So when you pray the Lord's Prayer and you come to this last petition, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, just ponder for a moment and commit to God your way, particularly any temptations you know are coming your way or that you face on a regular basis. And ask for help. Ask for the power of the Holy Spirit. Ask for the presence of Jesus. Be confident that Jesus has already overcome. Be confident that he is your rock. He is your foundation. And rest and stand in him. Amen. Let's pray.